This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off this week. She'll be back on Monday. Well, we all want to know, when will I get my COVID-19 vaccine? Retired General Rick Hillier provided an update uh, for the distribution process in Ontario this morning with a focus on the first three phases of the rollout, starting with healthcare workers, essential caregivers, and long-term care home and retirement home residents, First Nations communities, part of which is already underway. But the general described it like this when referencing who will be next. Starting, you know, in in middle, later April with people 75 years old and above, obviously we will have picked up a lot of those people in the retirement homes, in the long-term care homes, but not all of them. So 75 and above, and as soon as we have made significant progress in that age group, we would drop it to 60, 65 to 75 and keep going downwards. And I think we can get to a lot of mainstream Ontario by, by later July. What he didn't say there is how people will be contacted, how they can register for their COVID-19 vaccine, uh, perhaps because that hasn't been ironed out. We'll drill down on the process, which has been underway for a couple of weeks, with the exception of two days over Christmas, which General Hillier has admitted was a mistake and won't happen again. On the line with us, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family physician and founder of Prime Health Clinical Research, and Dr. Carrie Bowman, assistant professor of family Family and Community Medicine at the Temerity Faculty of Medicine. Welcome both. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Happy to be here. You've both had a chance to hear what the General outlined this morning for the rollout. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, Iris, uh, your initial comments. I'm excited by it. I'm excited that he's keen on getting as many people vaccinated as possible. The big news item of today, of course, is that they're going to be vaccinating more people instead of holding off on that second dose. That comes as huge news, because what that means is that for Canada, having received the 249,000 doses from Pfizer, they will be given to 249,000 individuals instead of half of that number. That's expected to reduce the number of symptomatic infections by as much as 42%, a huge reduction. So I'm excited by it, but we've got to ramp it up. Now, Dr. Gorofenko, I'm interested in knowing about this. So say they use up all of those as first doses. Um, What happens if somebody's not able to get their next dose within the 21 days? Is that problematic or would that be figured out in advance? Well, the best data we have on that is from other vaccinations. And if we consider even the shingles vaccine, that can be given as much as a year later. Okay. If, you know, for hepatitis A, hepatitis B, all these other shots, if it's given later, it's not that big a deal. What matters most is getting that first shot. Okay. And Dr. Bowman, your thoughts on the process to date and the update given by the general this morning? Yeah, well, I, I would agree with Dr. Gorfinkel. I was very, very relieved to hear that they're going to, you know, focus on single shots first. It, it just makes so much more sense scientifically. Um, and, you know, there's some immunity that goes with it, as, as we've just heard explained. 
you know, if there has to be a delay, there can be. But look, what's really tough with this is where do we go next? You know, you might call it the second wave. We've really got broad provincial and, and even national consensus on, on who to go to first. You know, vulnerable people, people that take care of them, long-term care, all the important, important stuff. But where do we go next? You know, um, Hillier's comments, would, would it sounds like we might just sort of come down the age ladder inch by inch. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, that's okay, I guess. But when you get down towards below 60 and things like that, is that the best direction to go in? Or do we have other considerations? Do we look at who's actually spreading it? You know, should, should vaccines go? If, if we were to say our data shows, and I'm not saying this is true, that the, the real spreaders are between, what, 18 and 25, do you say, okay, well, let, let's get on top of it by going for them? Like, what do you do? Or is society's goal, we cannot be economically crippled anymore, who do we vaccinate to get the economy rolling? Um, so, you know, and I think it's not clear because they don't know yet exactly how it's going to roll out. Um, well, that's what I'm curious about, Dr. Bowman. Is is this negotiable or is it, uh, as General Hillier was saying there, mid-April, those 75 plus and then 65 to 75 and down the age ladder, as you say? Yeah, I think it is negotiable. And, I, you know, it, it's going to vary a lot by province to province. I follow this as closely as I know how to do. And I don't get it. You know, I don't know because I think they don't know. I mean, I think when we start, you know, descending below, I, I guess, 65, I mean, you know, these are lines in the sand. But when you start going much lower than that, the question would be, is that wise in terms of all the other objectives we have with society or not. Now, you know, that's beyond my qualifications. But I these think are what we need to do here is look, look firmly at who is dying of the disease, who's in yeah. the hospital, and that has to guide it. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite simple, actually. You know, why, why, why was long-term care chosen? Why rob a bank? Because that's where the money is. That's the yeah. very same concept here. So the people yeah. who are the sickest, the ones who are the most likely to die, the ones who are most likely to get seriously ill, those are the people who are first in line. Their, their caregivers have to be given the vaccination. Yeah. And, of course, hospital workers, those who are hospitalized. You know, the big questions arise, what about the immunocompromised? The fact of the matter is some immune response is better than no immune response. And a messenger RNA vaccination as what that's that's what the Pfizer vaccine is. That's what the Moderna vaccine is. Guess what? It has no virus in it whatsoever. That's a key point to understand that the likelihood is it can be given to all populations and safely. So there's data going on now. There's ongoing research. What about pregnant women? That's actually a somewhat immunocompromised state, but that's not where the deaths are occurring. That's mm-hmm. not where the severe illnesses are occurring. Yeah. So the answer is give it out to those individuals who are most likely to be hospitalized and most likely to die from the disease. Dr. Bowman, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. But my question would be, when we've done that, where do we go next? Um, I agree with that fully, fully, fully. And, you know, we could look at, you know, who's who's really at high risk and who's at, you know, uh, high risk, but maybe a lesser risk. So I think we've got a strong consensus on that. I, I'm looking, projecting towards the future uh, you know, the future months towards spring is to, and I, it might not be overwhelming. If we have enough vaccines, it might not be as difficult as we're making it appear to be. But where do we go next with it after that? And I'm not 
minimizing. I mean, the most important goal is right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think I, I agree fully with Iris on that. Yeah. We can't wait to get that Moderna vaccine. You know, no, no, we can't. We've got uh, 249,000 doses of the Pfizer, but we're getting another 170,000 doses of the Moderna by December 28th. The biggest difference is that Moderna can be stored for up to 30 days in the refrigerator that I have as a GP on Young Street. Can you? So most I, GPs have that kind of fridge, two to right. eight degrees for thirty days. We can do that. We can't do the Pfizer vaccine. That's the big problem. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a it's a much more friendly vaccine. Uh, maybe you can both help me with this. Um, the general this morning was encouraging Health Canada to make the Moderna vaccine a one shot deal. What was that all about? Do either of you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. The Moderna vaccine has a 50% efficacy two weeks after the vaccine has been given. Wait another two weeks. One month after, you're at 92% effectiveness. So that's an evidence-based statement. So that's opposed to a 95% efficacy. You know, so what's the difference? There is no difference. And he's absolutely right. We're following in the footsteps of every other province or many other provinces simply because that's what makes the most sense. Why would we vaccinate 85,000 people when we could vaccinate 170,000 people with that same vaccine? We have to cover as many people as possible and give the booster shot later. Okay, Dr. Dr. Bowman, on that request to Health Canada? No, I agree. I agree fully. Uh, There's no question about that. I mean, you know, I I think if we've got the vaccines, we can make some really good decisions. I mean, what I I go back to, you know, what's what's the access going to be? And we don't know. Are they going to start really rolling in? It's very hard to get that information. We're off to not a great start. And I don't want to be overly negative here because this is a tough, tough thing to do. But we're not up to the best start in the world in Ontario or even in Canada. So let's hope more and more come in. But I agree fully with Moderna. I, I, again, I think our bigger challenges are going to be after we get through that that first threshold, where do we go next? And, you know, I speak as an ethicist, which I am. I, so I'm looking at the ethical challenges that would lie ahead. I think we've got pretty broad consensus and we can really follow the science in these early stages as much as possible. Uh, with me now, uh, with us on the line here has been uh, Dr. Iris Gore-Finkel and Dr. Kerry Bowman, both experts in vaccination rollouts. Uh, doctors, we have a lot of calls here to get to. Uh, we'll do our best. But before I went to break, I asked about how this is going to work for the general public. Uh, Dr. Gore-Finkel, people want to know, will I be contacted? How will I know it's my turn to get a vaccine? First, we know that it's not going to be mandatory. No one is being forced to take a vaccination. Now, understand, Canada has purchased enough doses to vaccinate every Canadian, get this, five times. Yeah. Like, we, we have tons of vaccine eventually. But initially, Health Canada, you know, has done the purchases. It's going to give it to the provinces and territories. And then say, let's talk about the Moderna vaccine, which is actually easy to, to give out. Right? So every family doctor could give it. Every pharmacy could give it. You'll have clinics, you know, and, and it'll be a, it, a constellation of media being in, informing people that it's available. It'll be family doctors giving it, pharmacies. And the fact of the matter is, when it comes down to it, I really think the people who want it, just like they want flu shots, 
it's going to be the squeaky wheel who gets that oil. So people doc- are not going to be contacted directly to tell tell them. They have okay. to be aware, following media to know that it's available. Dr. Bowman, your opinion, that's what's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. There's no way on earth that, you know, they're, they're going to look through phone numbers or, you know, start phoning you to say you're ready. Uh, and again, it's non-mandatory. You know, the million-dollar question is, is what is people's interest in this vaccine? I'm assuming it's nice and high, mm-hmm. um, especially in more vulnerable groups. But we actually don't know that yet. So we meaning, you know, do people actually are they going to say, yes, I want it. And I'm ready and I'm going now. Doctors, you have invigorated our listeners. We have a full bank of calls. Let's see if we can get to all of them. Kathy in Toronto, go ahead. Your question for uh, Dr. Bowman, Dr. Gorfinkel. Go ahead, Kathy. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I have a question. Um, my mother recently got the, got the flu shot, and they came at home to give it to her. And then I got a letter a couple of days ago that the flu shot, unfortunately, was stored at the wrong temperature, and it is now ineffective. You know, do I want do I want her to get another flu shot? So I'm wondering, how will they determine that everybody who gets the flu shot is stored at the right temperature, and we don't get another notice like a month and a half later that oops, we made a mistake? Right. Good question, Doctor Gorfinkel. Go ahead. This is something I've actually published on or wanted to publish on. No, it did not get published. This is true. <laughs> what the, the issue is this: many of the vaccinations are stored in poor quality bar refrigerators. That's right, $100 or $200 refrigerators, and that's seriously problematic. We have temperature gauges that watch the temperatures at all times, and we are to document, is it between 2 and 8 degrees? And when there is a temperature deviation, public health is called. They come and they visit. Back in the old days, they, they still have to come and do that, and they check to see what is the temperature deviation and how long was it out. And if it's out too long then patients like your mother will get a letter saying, we're sorry, but this is what happened. Dr. Bowman, uh, how big of an issue might this be? Well, look, uh, you know, I, Dr. Gorfinkel described it perfectly. Uh, you know, I, it's awful, but look, it, it also means the system is monitoring itself, right? So th- what you really want to take from that, as awful as it is and as disturbing as it is, is that the system has checks and balances and they're dealing with that. So do keep that in mind. Um, that makes us all a lot safer when they actually deal with these 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 errors. Let's go to Lillian in Toronto. Go ahead. Hi, this question is for Iris. Iris, you said that we have 260 plus 170 doses, and I understand that Israel has received 2 million, and I wonder why Canada is so far behind. I agree, Lillian. It's a serious problem. Israel is now administering 65,000 doses a day of the Pfizer vaccine. To be fair, they received 2 million doses. They paid more for the vaccine considerably, and they are providing more vaccinations. Ontario is now giving 16,000 doses a day. So we have a long way to go. We can do way, way better. So we look to other countries and hopefully learn from them that, yes, we can, in fact, aim higher than what we are now. Let's go to Simone in Parkdale. Simone, you're on Zoomer Radio. Go ahead. Hi there. I understand that the people in long-term care homes will be among the first to get the um, uh, vaccination. Yes. What about people with uh, lung problems uh, at any age uh, or and, and people who are seniors outside? Uh, will they be able to get their first, um, you know, her, have first priority after that? Or Dr. Bowman, over to you. What about uh, seniors who are not in retirement or long-term care homes with compromised systems? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know the exact timeline because we, we just don't know. But listening to what General Hillier said this morning, I mean, that would probably come quite quickly, I should think, after long-term care homes. Um, be interested to see what Dr. Gorfinkel thinks. Well, I'll share with you. People with lung problems who are community dwellers fall into that category of squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's probably okay. how it's going to come down that pipe. And I wish I could say we had systems to target those people individual and say, guess what? Your vaccine is in. Come on. But I think outside of the long-term care homes, outside of the hospitals, outside of, you know, healthcare workers who are working in those high-risk environments, what we're going to see is exactly like the influenza vaccine. You want it, you go after it, and you go after it aggressively. Because yeah. initially, the vaccines were available in limited amounts. And I hate to, you know, invoke the scarcity effect, but that's actually what's going on. We're not getting a lot of vaccines compared to the U.S. We're certainly not getting a lot of vaccines compared to Israel, who paid top dollar for it. You know, so, so we've got to deal with, with what we have. But when we have enough vaccinations, that my refrigerator is, in fact, stocked with them, what's likely going to happen is we'll call those few individuals that we can remember, that we know they're high risk, but basically it's going to become first come, first serve. I'm wondering about uh, similarities to other vaccination campaigns and what we've learned from those. I'm thinking about polio. Uh, do you think the distribution experts, Dr. Bowman, uh, have reviewed some uh, some of the way that those vaccinations were rolled out? Yeah, I mean, there was, a, you know, there were some disasters with polio, but certainly they have. And polio was a very, very long time ago. True. Um, you know, look, I, I think and this shadows everything we're talking about. I think one of our biggest challenges right now is what the timeline is going to be. That's my real concern. Um, you know, the, the problem is we don't know what the contracts actually say with, with AstraZeneca, with any of the Moderna, um, Pfizer, you know, like we don't know what those contracts actually say. And that's why we're all second guessing, um, you know, what it is, you know, how and when it's going to actually roll out. And it's a great concern, um, you know. Because we do run the risk that Canada will fall behind significantly, and we will pay for that, you know, in, in, in terms of medical outcomes and, and economically as well. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all the calls today, but I do promise that we will revisit the topic of vaccines. It's on everybody's mind uh, this week. So 30 seconds to both of you as a final thought as we're getting more and more information about the vaccine rollout. Dr. Iris. The vaccine registry is absolutely imperative. We need to be following every single person who's received their shot, when and where, and which press they've received in order to better understand, down the line, which vaccine is, in fact, the most efficacious and safest to get. Dr. Bowman. You know, I, I think we've got to go for transparency, and we, we've got to hold our leadership accountable. You know, the delays over Christmas, that did not go over well, and nor should it. And it's good because it's it's pushing people to act in a different way. We have to voice our concerns as to how this rollout is happening because this is a democracy and that's what we need to be doing. Thank you both for your time. Very informative. Appreciate it. Thank Many you, Libby. For me, 
Okay, Jane, for Libby, uh, I'll be back again tomorrow. Big thank you to Dr. Carrie Bowman and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel for their comments on the vaccine distribution, uh, which is underway and which has a long way to go. This is a topic we will be revisiting. You can uh, get in touch with us anytime on our voicemail, 416-367-9636, or email us with your comments at fightback at zoomer.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.